it is good to be back in the pulpit. Uh, I didn't preach last week, obviously. Marcus Brown was here, and I've heard great things about Marcus, so I'm going to preach two sermons this morning. Hope you guys don't have plans for lunch. It's going to be a long one. I'm just kidding. It's not going to be bad. bad. Here, listen, we are, are still in our wandering the desert. I, I told you at the beginning of all this, we're, we're kind of taking two weeks on and a week off and then two weeks on and a week off, and we're just going to continue that theme all the way through this month as well. And so we're kind of continuing our thought of, of what our life looks like when it's spiritually dry. How can we learn from the Israelites and, and their wandering, their physical desert? Um, and we've looked at how we replace God, how we run back to our old life. We talked about how we want uh, kind of demand some physical things on our own. And, and we kind of need to get ourselves in places and positions that we never, ever, ever wanted to be. And so this week we're going to talk about something I believe uh, we can all identify with. We can all just say, we've done this at some point on some level, whether it's spiritually or tangibly or uh, relationally uh, or financially in our life, where we've just got it wrong. Can anybody say that? That they just, I mean, like, yeah, I got it wrong. I did something I shouldn't have done, or I didn't do something I should have done, uh, and I got it wrong. And I think today, uh, of all of these that I put together, this is the one that I mean, I just kept writing, and I was going, this is like, this is, God, you're just talking to me. I don't have to say this to anybody else. But the more I thought about it, I thought, this is all of us. At some point in our life, we just do something that we know that we should not or have done, or even, I think, sometimes worse, we uh, didn't do something that we should have done. Um, And I feel like we get in this little uh, conundrum, that's a big word, uh, because we're trying to figure out what God wants, and we people have asked me this question a million times. How do you, how do you discern the will of God when you feel like you're supposed to do something? Are you, and do you ever get to that point where you're like, okay, is this God telling me to do it? Or is this the devil trying to trip me up? Or what decisions should I make? And, and we get in that weird, awkward, uh, I'm not really sure what to do next. And then sometimes we just dive off in it. And we just jump in head first. And we're like, this is what we feel like God's going to do. And as soon as we do it, we go, oh, that was a big mistake. I should have never done. Some of y'all are like volunteering for student ministry, like, right? Because you did that. You're just like, oh, Lord, what did I do? And, and other ones are you go in there and you're like, yes, this is exactly what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm going to talk about volunteers for student ministry in just a second. And I saw, um, I saw Dustin, so that made me kind of think about that. Sometimes we pop off. Sometimes we say something that we should not have said. Or we react instead of respond to people. Maybe we, we, we kind of... Uh, kick the dog or yell at our kids or do something that we know in the moment. As soon as you do it, you go, oh, man, I missed, missed it. I shouldn't have done that. And sometimes it's a little bit easier than that. We were, um, I told you I was going to tell you some stories, so this is one of my favorite ones. We were uh, at our hotel in Boston, and we stayed at this beautiful place, and outside of our window, uh, the guy who checked us in was very excited to show us that if you squinted and you could see out in the ocean, there's this lighthouse that was out there. And it was, it was pretty, I mean, it was far enough away that you couldn't take a really good picture of it. And so it was just kind of out in the ocean. We we're like, oh, wow, that's pretty. Uh, and he was like, yeah, this is, and his Boston accent, this is the great, these are the most comfortable mattresses in all of Winthrop. And he goes through this whole thing, and we're like, you know, if that's the case, then we're going to pray for the people of Winthrop because those were not as comfortable as we wanted them to be. And so we, uh, we just kind of did whatever, and it was great, and we were kind of, taking in the sights, and that was the first day we got there Saturday, and we'd been in the bus all day Friday, and then about half a day on Saturday, um, and so we went a couple of days, did some really great things, and some neat things, and we had a free morning, and the way Jason, our church planner, tries to plan those days, uh, he tries to plan in thirds, and so if we work in the morning, we may have an afternoon that we can kind of take a deep breath, and then work that evening, or 
however it plays out. Well, this particular morning, we had a free morning, and uh, he said, hey, I, we're going to do something special for you guys. We've got a free morning, and we don't have anything for you to do until this afternoon, so we're going to load up, and we're going to go to Maine. And I was like, well, I've never been to Maine before. And he said, well, it's not far. It's about an hour and a half from here. He said, we're going to go up to a place called Nubble Lighthouse. It's a beautiful place. And I was like, great, we'll go. And so we all got in the bus, and we took off and drove for about an hour and a half. We drove north through Massachusetts, went through uh, New Hampshire for a minute, and then got into Maine and kind of wound through some little back roads for a second that just opened up to this beautiful place called Nubble Lighthouse. And you can Google that later, not while I'm preaching, uh, and see pictures of it. And I was going to put it on the screen. I forgot to do that. And so it's just this incredible, beautiful lighthouse that's out on its own little jetty. You can't even go up to it because it's separated from the land. It, they had a, a, a cart system, cable cart system to take the worker out back and forth. Uh, it still worked. And uh, some other people who were up there said they were up there a couple of days prior to us, and it was real foggy, and the lighthouse was blinking, and it was just really kind of cool. And, uh, and so we uh, finally get up to this place, and it's just incredible. And we get out, and there's all these rocks, and we get down to the water, and it's freezing cold water. And, <laughs> and one of our team members, Katie Bryant, uh, is sitting behind me in the van, and she says, y'all, isn't it just incredible that we just drove an hour and a half. And if we just look over that way, we can see Winthrop. And I go, oh, no, no, that's not right. And she's like, what are you talking about? I said, this is a different lighthouse, Katie. I said, we just drove like 100 miles. You can't see 100 miles. And she's like, really? And I was like, yes, really? I had that, like, I don't remember if that movie is a dumb and dumber moment where he walks up on the motorcycle and he's like, just when I think you couldn't do anything any more stupid, you go and do this and totally redeem yourself, right? And I just think, I thought, Katie, and she just totally missed it. She totally got it wrong. And she was like, Really? I said, we've driven an hour and a half. I said, can you see a little rock from your back porch? She's like, no. And I was like, okay. And so the running joke from that point forward is whenever we were anywhere, somebody would go, can you see Maine from here? And she shut up. And so like, you just miss it sometimes, right? Sometimes you're just totally oblivious. Sometimes it's a little bit bigger than that. Sometimes you have these conversations of, oh, I probably shouldn't have bought that truck. Or maybe I shouldn't have gone on that vacation or gotten that credit card. Maybe I should have uh, worked harder here or invested more time here. Maybe I shouldn't have gotten that divorce. Maybe I should have tried harder. Maybe I should have uh, really just trusted God in this area. Sometimes it's big things. Sometimes it's little things. What today we're going to talk about is two different stories in Scripture where where people just missed it. And and we're going to focus a little bit more on the the why as opposed to the what. Is that that makes sense? We can learn from the what. What did they what did they do that they missed? But really, we want to kind of hone in on why did they miss it? Why did they why did they do what they did to begin with? And so to do that, we're going to go. I told you we we're moving kind of chronologically through this, but we're going to take a step backwards from from two weeks ago when we talked about Korah's rebellion and all that stuff that happened with them. We're going to take a step backwards to look at something that we kind of skipped over, and then we're going to take a step forward and see. Uh, some things that happened with Moses and some things that are a little familiar with with most of us. So if you've got your Bible, uh, let's go to Numbers chapter 14. This is um, this is kind of the, the, the story part that we skipped over. I told you two weeks ago that we weren't going to look at necessarily, quote-unquote, the, the spies and how they went into the land. Remember, they finally got to the promised land after wandering for not very long. 
um, and they refused to go in. You guys remember that story? This is just immediately after the Exodus, and uh, Joshua and Caleb and the ten other spies went into the land and came back, and uh, and God God said go, and they said uh, no, but Joshua and Caleb said yeah, we can do it, but everybody else said no, we're not going to go. Um, and there was a lot of really interesting things. Well, we see that and we go, yeah, that's where they missed it. They should have done what they didn't do. And so their, uh, their punishment for that, if most of you who know your Old Testament know that, that God kind of comes back to them and says, okay, because of your disobedience, because you said no, then you will wander in the desert for one year for every day the spies were in the land. They were in the land for 40 days, and so they have 40 years of punishment. And he said every male over the age of 20 are basically the ones who got to vote on should we go or not, and they all said no. Every male over the age of 20 is going to die, um, and, and then we'll come back and revisit this again. And, and a matter of fact, in verse um, 35, there's this really cool uh, statement that God says, they will meet their end in this desert. Here they will die. And that's very, I mean, it's pretty black and white, straight to the point. There's no arguing with God when he says something like that. And so we look at all that and we go, yeah, you missed it. That was your chance. That was your opportunity to do what God wants you to do. And you said no and you missed it. But there's an interesting part, tag part on the end of this that a lot of people like to skip over, but I think this is really important for us today. Verse 39. When Moses reported all this to the Israelites, they mourned bitterly. This is their punishment, their 40-year sentence. They're wandering the desert Early the next morning, they went up toward the high hill country. We have sinned, they said. We'll go up to the place the Lord promised. Now, this is, this is what a lot of us do. Can we just take that back, God? Sorry. Uh, we'll go. We'll do whatever you said. Once we know the punishment and we don't want to deal with the punishment, we'll come back and go, oh, it's all right, God. We'll, we'll do whatever you said for us to do. Sorry, we missed it. Verse 41. But Moses said, why? Are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies for the Malachites and the Canaanites will face you there. Because you've turned away from the Lord, He will not be with you and you will fall by the sword. This is a very hard promise by Moses to say. Remember he said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? What command are they now disobeying? It's not go into the country. They've already disobeyed that one. Now their command is you will wander. And they're disobeying on the backside of this. He says you will fall by the sword. This gives me the, I've only got two points for today. Number one is this. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And that's a hard pill to swallow for most of us. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Moses is basically looking at him saying, you've had your chance. You can't go now. Now that you know the consequence of it all, you're too late. And I believe a lot of us are running our lives and our finances and our marriages and our relationships just like that. Saying, oh, if I, if I knew this was going to upset you this bad, I would have never done it. Or if I knew that you really, really wanted me to do this, I would have done it a long time ago. I, if I knew it was going to cause all this pain and regret, I'll just undo it and we'll act like that never ever happened. And I think even more than that, we live our spiritual lives by this motto as well. God, if I knew this was going to make a mess of everything so bad, 
I would undo it. God, if I knew my actions or my lack of action would have this big of a fallout, I never would have done it. I'll, I'll go. I'll do whatever you want. I'll quit doing this or I'll start doing this. I don't want the consequence of my disobedience. So I'll just do it now. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And it doesn't ever work like that. Moses says, you can't, you can't do this. This will not succeed, right? Sometimes we just need somebody to look at us and go, this will not succeed. Don't go up. God is not with you. And of course, the Israelites listened to him, right? They stayed at camp. They kind of reflected on their, uh, their decisions and their lack of decisions and their lack of movement. And they said, you know, relationally, we need to get things right with God before we move forward. Or spiritually, I need to just spend some time in prayer. That's exactly what they did, right? Wrong. So they always just kept pushing. They kept going. It says um, that in verse 45, it says, nevertheless, nevertheless, they go. In their presumption, they went up toward the high hill country. Though neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moved from the camp. That's an important part. We're going to come back to that. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hamora. Now, this is what's interesting. Remember that little phrase that's on the screen? Um, Though neither Moses... I'm sorry, go back, Mark. I'm sorry, one, one back. That's it. No, neither Moses nor the Ark of the Lord's Covenant moved from the camp. Y'all remember the rule? Y'all remember the rule whenever they'd get somewhere and they'd settle and the, and the cloud would descend on the tent of meeting and the tabernacle and that's where the... Uh, or not the tabernacle, but the tent of meeting, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And when the cloud lifted, they were to kind of pick everything up and move. And here, they're moving without God moving. And they're saying, well, we're going to go in our presumptions. We're going to go even, even though God's not going with us. And it says that they got beat down. That word presumption in verse 44 is, is a Greek word. It's called ophel, and it means to be lifted up, to swell to be heedless. It's kind of like they're just kind of puffed up and they're going to go anyway. Here's the commentary that I, I read. I put it on the screen. It's really interesting. It said this, Thus they added to an evil distrust in the power of God and almost more evil trust in their own power. It was rather one of those many cases in which men seek to atone for a fault on one side by rushing into a great fall on the other side. Ever done that? Try to make up for one wrong by rushing into another wrong? Ever done something that you knew as soon as you did it, you should have never been there, should have never gone there, should have never allowed it to happen, and instead of just owning that and accepting the consequence for it, you try to rush into something else, trying to make up for that, and it's just as wrong as what you did the first time. This is what the Israelites are missing it. They got it wrong on so many levels in their own arrogance and by their own will and by their own presumption they go and fight and the bible uses and i'm read out of the niv uh, it says two words it says um, beat down that's an interesting phrase right they were beat down two wrongs don't make a right Two wrongs. Just because you missed it the first time, don't rush in. Don't react. Don't, don't presume that you could just flippantly do something else to make up for it. You have 
to understand your first wrong so that you don't make a second one. They went without Moses. They went without the ark. There was no blessing in their action. There was no pause to their counsel. Moses said, don't go. This will not succeed. And they went on. We've got something I've got on the screen. This is probably going to be hard to hear. The worst thing you can do. This is not even one of my points, but it's just good enough. I wanted to put it on screen. The worst thing you can do when you've missed it, when you've made a mistake, when you've done something that you know that you shouldn't have done, when you've you've acted disobediently with God, when there's something that's wrecked your world, the worst thing you can do when you missed it is not seek godly counsel. And I don't care where that comes from. It doesn't have to come from your pastor. It can come from your best friend. It can come from uh, your family members. It can come from somebody that you trust. But it's got to be godly counsel. It can be from a professional, which there are hundreds of professionals that give great godly counsel. The worst thing that you can do when you've missed it is not seek godly counsel. The second worst thing you can do is ignore that counsel. It's just go, oh, I'm just not going to listen to them. Well, maybe you sought it out. Maybe you feel good about it. Well, I went and talked to that person, but I'm not going to do what they said. I'm not going to really listen to what God's trying to tell me through them. I'm just going to do why in the world would we ever trust ourselves to get ourselves out of something that we ourselves put ourselves into? Why would you ever trust yourself to get out of what you yourself put into? And it doesn't make any sense, but over and over again, I hear people talking about, well, I'm just going to figure this out on my own, and I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps, and I'm going to, I'm going to do life, and I'm going to get out of this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I, 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 and they're not, listen, I've talked to people who have said, we're not going to listen, we're not going to, we're not going to do anything, we're not going to listen to anybody, but we're going to figure this out on our own. And I go, good luck. The worst thing you can do is not seek godly counsel. The second worst thing you can do is ignore that counsel. This is exactly what the Israelites did. They're going to figure it out. They're going to fix the problem. They're going to right their wrong. They're going to go back and they're going to fight when they should have done it the first time. They're going to go in. They're going to take the land because God said that they could, but they said that they couldn't, and so they're going to do it now. The Bible says they got beat down. That's a great word. You should circle that in your Bible if you write in your, I hope you do. I hope you write in your Bible. You should circle those two words. They got beat down. You know what those two words mean? There's two words in uh, the Hebrew that, that's, that are those two words translated into beat and down. One of them is naha and the other one is katheith. And I know that doesn't mean things, so don't write those words down, but here's what they mean. It's great. Naha means to strike, to smite, to slay, to kill, to beat, to conquer, to smitten, to scourge, to destroy, to st- to subjugate and to punish. And katheith means to beat or to crush into fine pieces, to shatter or to be destroyed. What happened to them? It was not good, right? They were smoking. Is that a word? To smite? How do you, how do you, how do you, to to smote? They were smoted. Uh, I don't know how to say that. But it was not good, right? To, to think all those descriptive words, to slay, to kill, to beat, to conquer, to smit, smitten, to scourge, to destroy, that's what happened to them. They were beat, I like that, they were beat down because delayed obedience is disobedience. And for a lot of us, God is saying go. 
and we say, not yet. A lot of us are saying, God's saying, do, and we say no. And a lot of us don't even bring God into the equation. Why are you doing that? I don't know. It didn't work. Did you pray about it? Well, no. Why would I have done that? We, we have to seek godly counsel. We have to listen to what God is telling us, and we have to move when he says move, because if we delay, then we are disobedient, and there's consequence that comes alongside of that. Now let's look at our second example. If we're going to take them, kind of, if you got your bulletin or a piece of paper or something, you can stick in that. But we're going to come back to that in just a second. Now let's move over to, to Numbers chapter twenty. This is uh, this is the the other example that we're using where someone missed it and why they missed it and what kind of happened. But we got to give you some a little bit of, of context here. So we are um, obviously we're we're full on wandering in Numbers chapter twenty. Uh, they've missed their opportunity to go into the land. Uh, they've obviously been beaten down by the Malachites and the Canaanites, and now they are wandering the desert. Uh, Miriam, this is Moses' sister. Uh, Miriam has just passed away. Uh, the Israelites are complaining. That's because that, that's what they do best, right? There's no water. And uh, the Israelites just kind of say, listen, we should have died when everybody else did, right? Uh, our livestock are going to die. There's no grain. There's no figs. There's no grapes. There's no pomegranates. And there's no water. And so verse 6 of chapter 20, Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. This is really, I don't even have this in my notes, but this is super important. When things seemed hopeless, where did they go? Did Moses and Aaron say, hey, let's just sit over here and talk about this and try to figure this out on ourselves? Or did they go and fell face down before God? Whole another sermon. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gathered the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that their livestock, so that they and their livestock can drink. So God's about to do something really incredible here. Verse 9. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, quote, Listen, you rebels. Must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out in the community and their livestock drank. If you're familiar with the story, you got it. You understood what just happened and, and where Moses misses. If you're not familiar, then let me just break it down. God says, get everybody together. Speak to the rock and it will pour out water. Moses gathers everyone together. And strikes the rock twice, and water pours out. So we've got this obvious speak versus strike disobedience, right? But notice, notice Moses' words. Here's what's really important. Listen, you rebels. You hear a, a bit of a tone in that, a little frustration and anger and disdain for the people. And then he says this, which is really the big issue. Must we bring water out of this rock? Must we? Who's the we? It's Moses and Aaron. They're the ones standing there. They're the ones who've gathered everybody up. Where's the acknowledgement of God in any of that? Must we bring water out of this rock? Moses missed it. 
He got it wrong. He spoke and he acted and he struck on his own abilities and he drew attention to himself instead of God. And this gives us our second point. And it's real simple. When it's more about us than it's about him, we've missed it. When it's more about us than it's about him, we've missed it. Did Moses have any ability to make water come from a rock? No. <laughs> he has no ability to do that. Do, do, you, do you have the ability to fix your marriage? Do you have the ability to protect your kids? Do you have any ability to determine what happens in your life tomorrow? Limited, yeah. yeah. You can do something to help your finances. You can help protect your kids. But ultimate ability, no, we don't have any of that. So why then? Do we continually make our lives and our decisions and our purchases and our church and our church involvement and our relationships more about us than it is about Him when we have no ability on our own? We're no different than Moses. You might as well go around with a stick and hit everything that's yours. That's mine. That's mine. She's mine. I don't, don't do that. Guys, go home. <laughs> Whack your wife. She's mine. You may, that may be your excuse this afternoon. Ladies, like you're mine. Why? Um, but we're just we're just hitting stuff. It's about us. It's about our ability. It doesn't make any sense because if you don't know this, if you don't, if you haven't read, man, I want you to read your Bible. If you don't get anything from this sermon, read your Bible because it's really great. Um, in the very end of your Bible, Revelation chapter four, John, uh, the apostle John is having a vision, and he has a vision of heaven, which is the revelation, right? That's the, that's the reason why they call it that book. And so he has this revelation, this vision of heaven. And in John chapter 4, there's this really cool moment where he sees the throne room of heaven. And he starts describing all these things that on our end doesn't really make sense, but it's things that he's seen that he doesn't have any words to express. And one of the coolest phrases in all of Revelation chapter 4, he says, I looked before me and there was a throne and someone was sitting on it. And if you don't catch that, then let me just say that you're not the one sitting on the throne. That there is a God in heaven and He is already sitting on the throne and it's, it's not you. And life is not all about you and the whole world does not revolve around you and your wants and your will and your decisions and your finances and your marriage and your kids and all that other stuff. You're not on the throne. He is. And so we, we read here that whenever we make life about us, we're trying to sit on the throne. And, God, and John already tells us, listen, there's somebody already on the throne. And it's not you. So we've got to get over ourselves. We've got to get over our wants. And we've got to get over our wills. We've got to understand that when we make it more about us than about Him, then we've missed it because everything that we do is not about us. It's about Him. Over over and over again. We miss it. When we make church more about us than we make it about Him, we miss it. When we make our marriages more about us than about Him, we miss it. When we make our day in and day out conversations more about us than about Him, we miss it. And that's a hard pill. Well, listen, we saw some incredible things in Boston and Winthrop. Winthrop's a, like a little suburb of Boston. Here's what I loved about, we went up on this, um, 
we were kind of taking the people who had never been there. Winthrop is 1.8 square miles, and so it's not big. It's, I mean, five minutes you're from one end to the other. And, uh, and we went on one little point, Fort Heath. It's really a neat place, and um, you could see all of Winthrop over here on, on your right, and it's just a really incredible place. And over here on the other side is uh, an inlet, and, and there's these different towns, Revere, um, uh, Lynn, city of Lynn, L-Y-N-N, they're saying their motto for their city, Lynn, Lynn, the city of sin, you never go out like the way you came in. Um, and then there's, uh, there's, I think it's Back Beach, and then uh, Nahant is back over here, and then back behind Lynn is, uh, is this town of Salem. Um, and, and I'm guesstimating, I, please don't hold me to these numbers, about 40,000 people in each one. 40,000 people in Revere, 60 to 80,000 people in, um, in um, Lynn. Uh, Salem is, is probably 60 to 80,000 people. All together, we're looking at about 250,000 people. And this, from, you can see it, the whole, kind of go all the way out into this little area. Revere, there's not one gospel preaching church for 60,000 people. In Lynn, there's not one gospel preaching church for those 25 to 30,000 people. In Nahant, there's not one gospel preaching church. In the city of Salem, there's not one gospel. As a matter of fact, the same day that Jason and Micah launched Harbor City Church, the Church of Satan opened its doors in Salem. And they have a congregation. And they have a building. And it's as evil as you can think, and there's just, there's no presence of the gospel for about a quarter of a million people. There's no churches. No gospel preaching, Jesus-focused churches. And I just, I, Jason's telling us all this, and I'm just like, I'm just overwhelmed. And he's emotional, and he's overwhelmed, and, and he looks back, and you look back over at Winthrop, 18,000 people, 20,000 people, and there's one, and it's Harbor City Church. And they're running about 60 people on Sunday mornings. And God is doing incredible things in that church. And you know what his focus was? He told us, he said, it's not about us growing a big church. He said, I don't want a big church in Winthrop. He said, I want us to grow, and I want us to send somebody from Winthrop to Revere and have them start a church. He said, I don't want Revere to grow. But I want them to send somebody to Lynn. And I want them to grow a church. He said, because it's not about us being big and having a great presence in this area. It's about us reaching people with the gospel. Because it's not about Harbor City Church. It's not about Emmanuel Baptist Church. It's not about me. It's about him. And when we make it about us, we've missed it. And I just remember thinking, 250,000 people, is a, it's, it's overwhelming. Dude, how are you ever going to make this kind of an impact? How can you ever grow a church from people who have no understanding about God to affect a quarter of a million people? And he just said, I don't have to. God's going to. It's not about me. And I look at that, and I look at our little corner of South Arkansas and, and how we are a large church in South Arkansas, and how we are 
impacting and we do ministry on levels that other people are not able to and other people don't care to and that's okay but listen we have just as much of an opportunity to make it more about him than about us here i don't i don't care we did the we did the hot dog thing you remember that at uh, at halloween we're going to do that again this year every person who walked away with a hot dog it didn't say Emmanuel Baptist Church on it. We didn't grill stamp that. I didn't write it in mustard on top. All oh, that would have been really cool if we'd have done that. Because <laughs> it's not about us. It's about serving our community. I don't care if those people come to our church. I want to know who Jesus is. I don't care if this church has a million dollar budget. I don't care. I do care. Careful. I don't care if you come to church or not. I do care if you come to church. But I care more if Jesus is preached outside these doors than I am about how much he's preached inside these doors. Because it's up to us to make it more about him than it is about us. And if we do that, if we make it about us, then we're missing it. Moses missed it. He hit the rock. Man, if I could hit you guys and make water gush. It would be awesome, but I can't do that. And he said, must we make water come out of this rock? And God's like, we? What, what, are, what are we going to do? We can't miss it. Now, here's what's interesting. I'm, I'm going to be done because I know, oh gosh, I'm out of time. So go back to Numbers 14. I told you, remember, put your finger in Numbers 14. Uh, because in Numbers 14, we see them go, we see them get beat down. Remember, we circled those words in our Bible. They got beat down all the way to Hamora. And then that's the end of Numbers chapter 14. Then their very next verse, Numbers chapter 15. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, after you enter the land, I'm giving you as a home and you present the Lord food for offerings from the herd of the flock, from our own pleasing to the Lord whether burnt offerings or sacrifices, special vows, free will offerings, or for festival offerings. And he just keeps going on. What, what happened? People disobeyed. People did what they weren't supposed to do. And then they tried to do it on their own. And they got beat down. And the very next words in Scripture is nothing about it. Nothing else is said. They disobeyed. They received their consequence for their disobedience. They got beat down. And then God just moved on. This is, in every sense of the word, the justness of God. God is just. They disobeyed. He punished it. And then he continues on. This did not change his plan. It did not derail his afternoon. It did not ruin his lunch because he dealt with it just like he always does. The Israelites missed it. But that didn't change God's will for their life. It didn't change God's plan for what was going to happen next. He punished it just like he does for us. When we miss it, there's a consequence to that. And God said, okay, take the consequence. Now let's move forward. We've got, to continue. We've got something bigger here to, 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 to accomplish. We've got more to do. We still have a plan, and that plan has to be fulfilled. And what our part of that is that we disobey when we do disobey. We get our punishment, we accept it, and we continue to pursue God. We continue to move forward with you. Just because you missed it doesn't mean God's done with you. Just because you messed up doesn't mean God doesn't care anymore. 
Just because you didn't do or did do something that you were or were not supposed to do doesn't mean God washes His hands and says, okay, I'm through with them. I'm never going to... He still has a plan. It's our responsibility to accept the consequence of our disobedience and continue to pursue Him. Okay, God, man, I missed that one. I'm sorry. God, help me and, and move forward. God doesn't linger. God didn't whine to Moses. A lot of these people keep disobeying me. I just don't know what to do now. God said, hey, when you do go, very next words. They got beat down. Oh, yeah, okay. So when, whenever you do go back in, this is what I want you to do. And he just moved forward. And church, that's our responsibility. Accept it and pursue him. Now, let's flip back over. Moses chapter 20, or Moses chapter 20, Numbers chapter 20. We're going to see the backside of Moses' disobedience. Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. After everything that Moses had done for God, after all the, the plagues and all the back and forth with Pharaoh, with all the exodus and dealing with the people and all that he's having to deal with, verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, quote, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. You read that and we go, what? Just like that, Moses is out. He doesn't get to go to the promised land. On our side, we think, well, that's a, that's a little harsh, God. Can we not tone that back just a minute? It seems to be a little extreme. He hit a rock, cut him some slack. It's not that big of a deal, but hear this, and then I'm finished. God never compromises his holiness. Never. Those of us who are leaders or quote-unquote have strong relationships with God are held to the same standards as those who are far from Him. He is holy always. He told Moses, you didn't trust me enough to honor me as holy in their sight. God is just and God is holy always. And so when it comes to when we've missed it, when we've done things or we've not done things or we've gotten it wrong, it's our responsibility to repent, to ask for forgiveness, to accept the consequence, and to move forward. See, we get in this loop, and I get it. In this loop where we, we feel like we have this, because we do, we have this incredible relationship with God who is all loving and who's full of grace and mercy and, and we do things that we know are, are opposite of what He wants us to do and we just think, well, it's okay. God loves me. He does love you. But there's consequence for disobedience. And sometimes that consequence is immediate and sometimes it takes years to play out. And we go, God, how could you punish me? I still do love you. I'm just not really doing what you want me to do. And he's going, well, that's the problem. And so there's always consequence for disobedience. It's our responsibility to accept it. And sometimes those consequences cost us more than we could ever imagine. But when we look at it and understand that God is just and God is holy, we are the ones who deserve the consequence. And so we accept it. Over and over again in the New Testament, Paul begs God, you please remove this thorn from my side. We don't know what it was. 
different things people have speculated. It doesn't matter. But God never did. Because it was something God wanted to do. It was a consequence or something. I believe that a lot of us hit those consequences and we think, well, we're just completely worthless. God doesn't love me anymore. I can't do anything. And that's so far from the truth. Because over and over again, we see him, even in our examples this week, of God delivers the, the punishment and says, okay, let's move forward. When you get there, this is what we're going to do. When this happens, this is what's going to ha- how it's going to shake out. And and we kind of get we get stuck in that moment. We go, oh, I can't move any further because I did something I wasn't supposed to do. And God's going, yeah, you did. Ask for forgiveness for it and let's move forward. Let's continue to pursue. So can we just can we just agree to do this? Can we just accept it and continue to pursue? This is not a break in the relationship. This is not the end of a road event. This is, this is very much a just God dealing with unjust action. This is very much God saying, I am holy and I am just and I never compromise those two things and so there's a consequence to disobedience. Now let's move forward. A lot of you have missed it. Listen, some of you, I'd be willing to bet, have even missed it this week. May have already missed it today. But when it comes to what God's asking us to do and how He's He's pushing us to do something, how He's wanting us to live our life and the relationships that we're supposed to have and the focus that's on Him and not on us and how we are to be obedient every step of the way. And listen, we miss it. Our responsibility is continue to pursue. Moses, when he was told this, didn't quit. When he said, "From this, you know, because you didn't trust me enough, you're not going to enter the land." Moses didn't say, "Well, I'm out. I'm, I'm done." He continued to lead. He continued to pursue God. He continued to intercede for the people who were consistently complaining. Our responsibility. It's to be obedient. So here's what we need to do today. We're going to stand and we're going to bow our heads. We're going to do all that kind of stuff. We're going to have our invitation like we always do. But today, can we just be focused enough to say, God, I know I missed it. In whatever area it is, relationally, financially, spiritually, God, I missed it and I'm sorry. I'm not going to let this be a, a dead end road for me anymore. I'm going to continue to pursue. It's going to be more about you than it is about me today, God. I'm ready to move forward. Hey, this is Matt Overall. I'm the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 10.30. Our small groups start at 9.30. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.